Welcome to the IoT Idols podcast. I'm Ryan Cousins, co-founder and CEO of Critical. We help bring bleeding-edge technology products to market through a combination of hardware and software modules and professional engineering services. We believe every innovator has a powerful collection of experiences and knowledge that can help inspire others in their field. If you have a story you'd like to share, stick around at the end of the show and we'll explain how you can be a guest on one of our upcoming episodes. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you could be the next IoT Idol. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of IoT Idols, Innovators to Watch. I'm your host, Ryan Cousins, co-founder and CEO of Critical. And today I'm super excited to be joined by Jean-Simon Venn from Brainbox AI. Jean-Simon, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Ryan, for inviting me. Yeah, so let's uh, just dive right in. Uh, you know, I'm sure our audience is dying to know what what is Brainbox AI? What do you guys do? Uh, maybe tell a little bit about your background, where you're based, and uh, a little history about the company, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an engineer by uh, by training, um, working a lot in the telecom and the innovation and telecom in the 90s and a bit of the 20. Uh, and and then that kind of led me to to a change of career where I start working in the energy retrofit of large building. Uh, so the typical uh, heavy mechanical engineering retrofit where you invest a lot of capex and and you basically uh, make sure the building is super efficient by the time you finish that kind of construction and commissioning project. Um, and that kind of lead to to a lot of frustration. Um, where no matter how much money you put in that building and how much time do you spend to configure it, when you leave, you leave. Um, and the buildings start to drift for many, many, many different reasons. And you kind of realize that, well, the efficiency is kind of crapping back in, right? Uh, by the back door on a daily basis and you realize that we need to we need to keep continuing the tweaking exactly like a race car um, if you don't uh, keep uh, tweaking uh, your your race car you will not perform on the track because it's rainy it's sunny it's hotter it's colder um, different track um, so it's the same thing with building mechanic if you don't tweak it all the time it will slowly drift and you will have an inefficient building quite rapidly and then the question okay what can we do about it uh, that's how it really started the, the adventure of brainbox ai yeah, it's interesting, and and it's funny because we've we've maybe not surprisingly had a, a couple other um, guests on in the past that have focused on different elements of uh, building efficiency and infrastructure. So you know, you know, HVAC like you guys, as well as you know, water, uh, all sorts of different things. And it's funny how you know how enabling the how, how enabling the you know if you want to call it Internet of Things has been um, with. Uh, in the context of building efficiency, because now you can extract so much more useful data from the systems after you design and implement them. I'd be curious, you know, kind of what your take is on how how things have shifted, uh, you know, given your given your background, maybe over the last, uh, you know, five, 10 years um, in terms of being able to kind of close that loop and, and you know, make make data driven decisions on on building design and that kind of thing. Yeah, so so digital control in in uh, HVAC, like heating, cooling, and ventilation of the building, has been around for quite a while, like right? 20, 30 years, um, uh, and they they do create an incredible amount of data. These systems, but until recently, really, what can you do about it? It's residing on that PC in the in the basement of a, of an hotel or an airport, and and will be you know lost forever uh, that data. Uh, 
And when you look at what happened in the last, I would say, yeah, 10 years, maybe more, six, eight years, um, the connectivity is now becoming quite easy. So to establish a connection in between these equipment to the cloud, uh, much less expensive. Uh, think how much it was costing uh, to, to do any type of connection from, from uh, a building to the cloud. And actually, the cloud was also very expensive 10 years ago. Now, it, the storage costs really went drastically down and the computing power increase keep increasing very rapidly and the cost of running that computing uh, power is also decreasing so suddenly like we start to have the tools at the right cost to do a lot of data movement and at the same time the ai came in and the ai when i mean ai i really mean deep learning so all of these neural network they really kicked in in the last six years um, very easy to play with, right? You know, either think of PyTorch or, or TensorFlow, you download it yourself and you could play with it tonight. Uh, it's that easy, as long as you understand what the, what are you doing. Um, uh, but you could read a book about it. But my point is like, if you have the data, you could start to play with AI and create additional value with that data. And that's kind of the path that we followed uh, at Brainbox AI. I so said, can we apply AI and couple it with, with autonomous algorithm that will basically learn the building, and when it's becoming super knowledgeable about the building, it will start to modulate the building in real time. So clearly, like autonomous AI applied to the HVAC side, the eating, the cooling, and the ventilation of the building, um, to create value, right? So we're working on reducing energy, of course. Uh, most of the our customer, they want to reduce the energy bill that they're paying at the end of the month. Uh, so we're we're usually reducing about 25% of that money uh, that is transferred from the customer to the utility. Um, but we're also having a huge impact on, on the comfort. So we're managing, at the same time we're saving money, we're managing to reduce this these little comfort issue, a bit too cold, a bit too hot, a different area of the building at different time of the day, depending if there's none or no sun. Um, and what we realize is we're also reducing a lot of the emission. So. 25% on the dollar you're paying reduction, but 40% on the emission because of the modulation during the time of day. So it's this famous relationship that you see a lot in California, which is at certain time of the day, the kilowatt is super green. Uh, mm -hmm. And at some other time of the day, it's super dirty. Mm -hmm. So you should spend your energy at the right time during the day to really have an impact on the planet. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just trying to kind of thinking about how, you know, obviously, generally speaking, with any sort of AI machine learning, kind of this, this big data analytics type stuff, the more data, the better. You know, the, I mean, it's it's sort of one of those deals where, you know, the a better better data set will be a better algorithm, you know, 10 out of 10 times kind of thing. Uh, and I'm kind of, I'm curious, you know, where... Is there any line that you guys draw in terms of the the type and volume of, of data that, that you get? I mean, I don't know if there's ever going to be a situation where you're going to you're going to tell someone to just stop giving us more data. We, we can't use it because you can always use more data. But I'm just kind of curious how much you guys are looking at. You know, maybe there's untapped, you know, uh, uh, data sources that that, you know, you're either looking into or haven't haven't touched on yet or could look into in the future if there were sensing capabilities to do that kind of thing. How are you guys going to approach that side of things? Well, we're, we're trying to control ourselves um, because you're absolutely right. As engineer, we, we we will stop only when we reach 100 percent. Right. <laughs> uh, so it's it's hard for us to control ourselves and say, no, it's good enough. It's not completed, but we got 80 percent of it. So, you know, let's do the back of the envelope and be uh, and uh, really, how much effort do we need to put in to go get the extra 20%? Uh, but in terms of data, 
uh, HVAC is a pretty simple equation in the sense that really it's it's driven by two things. Uh, what's happening outside in terms of weather. Um, and when I mean weather, I don't just mean temperature and humidity level, but really sometimes we're surprised that it's the wind direction which is having an impact on a certain side of the building. And of course, the solar radiation. And the solar radiation... Um, we know where the sun is in the sky at any given time, as, as long as you have the longitude and latitude of the building. But the cloud coverage is what is driving the basically the variation of how much the HVAC will need to work hard or not hard to maintain the desired temperature. So it's very important to have that cloud thickness. And we basically are buying that data. It's data that is readily available for pilot. They're already using that when they decide where are they going to do their, their, their plane, where they're going to fly the plane. So we're using that data. And then the other big driver, it's really the occupancy. So how many occupants, where are they in the building? What are they doing? Are they all together in the cafeteria right now? Or are they all in the conference room? Or they're scattered all over the floor? But that data is very rare that we get it because most of the building, they don't collect that data yet. So when we have a customer that we're lucky enough that they do have that data, we will take it. But most of the time we don't. Uh, so we just use, and it's sometimes good enough. 80% of the, of the job is done just with the weather data. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just thinking, you know, as you were mentioning some of these these kind of maybe unforeseen factors a lot of times and, and say the uh, the angle or position of the sun in the sky, uh, you know, it's one thing to have the direct sun exposure, but there's also, you know, infrared reflection off of other buildings, you know, especially if you're in a dense urban area. <laughs> you know, I remember years ago reading uh, an article about an issue that some uh, Las Vegas resorts were having where, you know, down by the pool area, even at a certain point during the day, there was no direct sun exposure, but the sun reflecting off of some of the buildings nearby, these gigantic steel and glass buildings, uh, was creating this section of the pool deck to be just unbearable. You I mean, you literally like die out there if you stay there too long kind of thing. I mean, that's kind of the case in the middle of the desert anyway, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm curious how, how much of, how much of that kind of stuff, these, these kind of crazy sort of seemingly off the wall, but still very relevant, uh, data sets or data pieces come into play. It's, it's, uh, it's, that's the part that we keep being surprised by, by these neural network, these deep learning, uh, technique, uh, because sometimes we were monitoring what the AI is calling in terms of shots, and we're like the first one going, oh, this must be a, a mistake, right? So we're, we're very close to say, stop the, 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 the autonomous, because this makes no sense. So this is what you described exactly happened in Montreal when we started the technology about three years ago. Suddenly in a, in a conference room, which is not exposed to the sun and will not be for the rest of the afternoon, the AI started the cooling. Mm. And the temperature was fine in the room, and we were like, Oh, this is a, this is must be a t something wrong in the algorithm, and we were about to de-engage the AI, and we said just let it go, just in case there's something we have not seen, and it's exactly what you described. The sun, about three minutes later, the sun hit the building in front on the mirror window, and basically project back the sun in that specific conference room, and the mm -hmm. temperature was going to rise, but it did not because the AI just three minutes before starting the cooling to compensate that that impact that was about to start. But the neural network figured it out uh, mm. over time. And now we're saying, oh, I'm not going to let this happen. And it's just amazing when we see that say, wow, uh, that was a that was a shot that was exactly the right shot. And, and we didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting. I mean, I guess when you uh, when you have 
I mean, because obviously any human being isn't going to realistically be able to keep all of the, that data and decision making and all that kind of stuff in their heads at, at one point. That's sort of the point of just automated systems in general. But yeah, stuff like that, where even the designers of of a particular you know algorithm, AI, whatever you want to call it, uh, <laughs> haven't foreseen a benefit being added. I think that's that's super interesting, and it's, you know, a ca- just a case for. I mean, honestly, it's more more data. I mean, if you if you give the the uh, machine the ability to make those decisions, um, you know, put a kind of right place, right time t- sort of thing. Even if you don't know what those things are going to be, and you, there's kind of unforeseen circumstances, you know, obviously there's still a lot of value to be gained there. So it's, I think that's super interesting. It's it's all based on the the prediction, right? So so what the neural network is really giving us is a very precise prediction of what will be happening over the next few hours, and and it's within 0.5 degree uh, in terms of temperature. Of what and it's always like you know at ninety nine percent it's exactly bang on it's calling the shot it's it's but it's what's interesting it's calling us also the change of direction so the temperature is going down and and then it's telling us when the inflection point will happen when it's going to start to go back up so be able to predict the the change of direction is pivotal in HVAC because as if you know this is what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and at what velocity it's going to basically change direction you could start to do some preemptive action that will change that future for a better future. And it's exactly what we're doing. So so we have the unfair advantage to know what will happen uh, when you compare it to any other reactive system which is already in place. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, uh, you know, I kind of make some analogs with motor control that sort of like, basically like what you're describing, that hysteresis, like the the difference, the difference between the action and the response and kind of the, the overshoot that's going to happen and those types of things. Uh, I think that, that I would imagine has got to be a, a huge part of where those efficiencies are gained, like at the at the peaks and troughs kind of thing. Because yeah, if you're just steadily heating or cooling or something, what else are you going to do? You you got to get it to a certain temperature. Same thing with like obviously a thermostat on an oven, or people can probably relate to it. You know, even in in whatever in just their home HVAC systems. Uh, you know, I got to imagine like the, those little even. At at the scale of say like an individual uh, you know office or something like that, it, you know you may not have some tremendous benefit, but if you're talking about some fifty story building or an entire city, <laughs> you know when you start looking once you start scaling that up, how much energy is being is being wasted or misused? Uh, you know I, those those numbers have got to be gigantic, I'd imagine. Yeah, especially when you start aggregating. So right now, today, you know, each building is operated and only it's as a silo, right? Hmm. Um, uh, it has actually no clue there is other building around it. Um, and it's consuming what it has to consume in a reactive mode. So not only you start to have pre, pre, preemptive action in the building to smooth out all of these curves and in these high and low peak, but imagine if you start to connecting all of these buildings together and these AI agents doing their thing at their building and start to exchange information among themselves in within the downtown city core. And then they start to hack as a cooler fish, uh, complementary to the benefit of the grid. So whatever the grid would like to see as a behavior of that core, um, then these buildings will try to satisfy what the grid would like to see as a group. Um, and if we reach that, and that's what we're, we presented at the COP26, and that's why we, we got the, the prize uh, of the best technology, um, is because that behavior is really preventing the grid from starting a, a fossil fuel power generation at peak hour, because the building will start to glide during that peak hour, and it's preventing the, 
that that fossil fuel power generation to start up and then adding a huge impact at the grid level on the emission side. And and that is like, you know, the next step for us, uh, these kind of school of fish, uh, AI building, working together. Yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, w- one thing I was just wondering about is, you know, most of the uh, data sources we've been talking about have been quantitative. Uh, you know, you're taking presumably specific measurements from, say, sensors or something like that, uh, different systems within the building. Um, but I'm curious if there's any sort of qualitative feedback that you plug into any of your algorithms in terms of, you know, comfort level of, of uh, individuals or people who are giving you feedback into how um, the systems are responding or is that kind of outside the scope of, of what you're typically doing? Yeah, it's, it's a bit out of, outside of the scope. And the, one of the problems with when you're dealing with with data and, and deep learning is you need to make the objective very clear. Um uh, it's 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 one or zero, right? So so how did we co- define example the, the comfort? We told the AI, well, the comfort is uh, the person wants to set the thermostat at let's say seventy two. Um, so there's usually a what we call a dead band. So you you don't react if it does not if it stay within that dead band. So so we say let's say it's one degree on each side. So it's seventy three, seventy one. Um, so we tell the AI if you're within that dead band you are 100% comfort satisfied, right? Um, and we're, we're, we're thinking that the human, if they're not happy with 72, they will put at 75, or the, and then that the dead band is gonna be coming. So we're telling the AI, if you stay in the dead band, you have the bonus, you win the game. Um, so it's really the, the penalty versus the reward, that's what the AI understands. That's why it's so good at chess, because uh, it understands how to win. The game mm-hmm. of chess. So, so we're doing exactly the same technique. With it. say, you want to win the game. You st- in that every time you go out of the dead band, you calculate how many minutes you were out, and you want to minimize the number of minutes you're out of the dead band to zero. You try to mm-hmm. get to zero. Um, so that's how we define it for the AI. And and surprisingly, yes, we have customers saying, well, the people are not happy with the temperature. So okay, so. So what do they want in terms of temperature? So well, they want 75. I say, okay, well, but because your thermostat is set at 70. Um, so just change it in the thermostat, and the AI <laughs> will follow. But you know, you have to tell the AI what you want. Uh, you right. Guess it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we haven't gotten to the point of reading your mind quite yet. No, <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting. And then uh, I guess yeah. So one one final question I had is is with you mentioned earlier, you know, there's uh, there's been kind of this this shift to um, you know kind of more on-premise compute capabilities, uh, you know, have you, I'd be curious, you know, what kind of your thoughts are, if, if you see any advantages to moving completely, you know, away from, maybe not completely away, but largely away from, say, cloud-based compute, um, and really to uh, what it sounds like is going, happening now is more, I guess, what do you call fog computing, where, you know, it's it's sort of like a localized cloud type thing. But have, are there any, were there any, ever be benefits to um say full edge computing where the the compute the ai and, and all the computation is happening where the sensing is taking place versus a, in a centralized location or how do you guys see that kind of going no i and i fully agree this is where we need to go um we're kind of following the limitation of hardware right um so yeah the, my my vision would be we decentralize everything because when you think about it we're we're basically taking data in the building, we're moving it through telecom, which which spend energy, which spend resource to the cloud, and then we're hosting it in a single point of failure, which is the cloud, which is also spending energy. So 
So computing at the edge would make so much more sense. Uh, and then you share, you know, some metadata to the cloud for the for the more holistic view of the ecosystem. But when it's all local computing for the local command and control, it should be. A, the problem is uh, uh, doing uh, deep learning modeling uh, on the edge computing today not that easy right mm. so but now we're starting to see some of the hardware vendor coming with these uh, ai chip they call which which kind of gives you the calculation capability at the edge um then you should have a discussion about maybe we should put two or three uh, redundant device to what happened if one device fell over so get some uh, robustness uh, and scalability around the, the edge but but yeah i think it's going there and it will make a whole lot sense that that would be the the ideal uh, architecture i would say yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's funny when you start weighing these the costs and benefits of, like you're saying, having these the challenges of having, uh, say, like deeply embedded machine learning type stuff. Because usually the learning portion is, generally speaking, what takes the massive compute horsepower. You know, massive, you know, like server farms and blades, and GPUs, and all this other stuff. Uh, versus the the inference part, where the actual decision, uh, you know, basically senses be made of the data um, in these little decision-making models uh, at the edge, for example. So having some sort of, I think to your point there, you know, you have this kind of, uh, now that you have all these different tools, presumably in your tool belt, you can say, all right, we have this uh, edge-based AI inference, maybe in the middle, you have some sort of federated learning scheme. And then at the back end, you're, uh, you're collecting all of that and having this big, you know, this holistic model, like just like you said, um, you know, I think that starts to, like, I think the, the you're spot on where the hardware limitations play directly into how that architecture actually comes together. Not only, and and that's not only from the standpoint of the, you know, the silicon you have available and you know, powered individual units and all that kind of stuff, but even the building infrastructure, because I mean, you know. I mean, buildings aren't exactly something you replace at the rate of technology, <laughs> you know. So, and not every building's wired for some massive amount of bandwidth to be running it all over the place. Uh, so, it's it's super interesting, I think, balancing that. Yeah, I mean, there's when you look at where they do place these uh, HVAC controller, which are computer, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at the way that these equipment are just like bolted on the wall uh, in in the boiler room. Uh, and there's about that much thickness of dust on it. Uh, nobody's <laughs> cleaning them. Nobody's taking care of the airflow in that machine. And you go like, I'm just surprised that that controller is still working. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of the poor child, right? Uh, uh, so you, if you want to do AI computing, you're going to have to get a little bit more better on that infrastructure maintenance. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, very good. Well, yeah, I think we're uh, just about out of time. I know this has been super interesting. Um, you know, I definitely appreciate the insights into that industry. And, you know, we're always, I'm sure, as our listeners are, always eager to hear about, you know, new applications of AI and edge computing and Internet of Things and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, it's, it's just fascinating, you know, how many different, uh, different industries are touched by it. And even industries that you would never necessarily have guessed, um, you know, yeah. a lot of like, Old, I mean, HVAC has been around for a long time, uh, but it's only really gotten smart in the last, you know, five, 10 years, you know, to, to your guys' point. So super interesting. You know, uh, Jean Samal, definitely appreciate it. What's uh, what's the best way for for people to, uh, you know, follow you guys and, and get a hold of you? I guess uh, the website info at uh, brainboxai.com. I think that's uh, uh, we're very responsive. We, we're going to get back to you very quickly. Perfect. 
All right, brainboxai.com. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Jonas Samo, thanks again for joining us. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be in touch soon. Hey, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of IoT Idols, Innovators to Watch. Tune in for the next episode. Coming at you real soon. This is Ryan Cousins signing off. Hey, this is Critical CEO Ryan Cousins again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Idols podcast. If you're an accomplished engineer, inventor, product manager, or technology entrepreneur, and would like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please go to critical.com slash podcast slash apply. That's K-R-T-K-L dot com slash podcast slash apply. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or share it on social media and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you know someone you'd like to have us interview, let them know about the show or tag them on social media using the hashtag IoT Idols. We're always looking for great guests eager to share their stories with our audience. We're regularly posting new episodes, so make sure you subscribe to our podcast, follow us on social media, and join our mailing list at critical.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, be excellent.